understand that uh, we come to the end of uh, a summer series here, uh, the questions that Jesus asked. And apparently, I get to wrap it up. And so, since I get to wrap it up, I would like to wrap it up with one of the last questions Jesus really ever asked. Context of the question follows his arrest by the Romans. It's after his torture by the guard. It's after his crucifixion on the cross. It's after his resurrection from the tomb. It's soon after this resurrection. Because Jesus questions his disciples. Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Why are you still so afraid? Why do you let fear drive you? Now, one of the disciples who heard Jesus talk about this, one of the last things he ever wrote was in 1 John chapter 4. He says this in verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. But the one who fears is not perfected in love. What is it about being loved you don't understand? That's what John is asking. Because that's what Jesus was asking here. Why are you still so fearful? I, I, I'm part of a, a, a think tank. And we're reading these different books. And one particular book is written by a neuroscientist. And, 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 and in this book, this neuroscientist tells us that there's really only two basic emotions. Human emotions. The emotion of love and the emotion of fear. All the other emotions, the shades of emotions we feel, are really all variations of, of these two particular emotions. Yesterday, we remembered what happened nine years ago on September 11th. That all of a sudden, this world we live in seemed to become a lot more dangerous than it was before. Now, it really was not. But we all of a sudden became aware of the reality of it. And here, people are living either in a sense of love, the emotion of love, or the emotion of, of fear. For example, the emotion of love produces the emotions of, of joy, trust, caring, peace, contentment, patience, kindness, gentleness, and the like. Where they find the emotion of fear produces the feelings of jealousy, bitterness, anger, hatred, rage, guilt, shame, anxiety, depression, confusion, and the like. So when everything's said and done, we as humans, we feel really only two emotions. Either the emotion of fear or the emotion of a sense of love. Now, this puts us in a state of mind. And we, at any given moment, we live in a state of growth, freedom, development, freedom, or a state of protection, where we feel we need to protect ourselves from the threats around us. Now, we are in this state of growth when we actually feel the sense of being loved. But when we feel the sense of fear, we automatically move into this state of protection. Now, when we are living in the state of protection, which most people in the United States spend their whole life living in, fear becomes this driving force of our lives. Apparently, research tells us that fear triggers, triggers more than 1,400 known physical and chemical responses in our bodies, which are activating more than 30 different hormones and neurotransmitters combined, throwing us into a frantic state. And we live there, folks. This is not a good thing, nor is it healthy. These neuroscientists tell us that fear actually affects the physiology of our brains. 
that when we are driven by fear, it creates a stress. The stress heightens the cortisol levels. See, what are cortisol levels? I don't know. But some kind of goop in our brain. And it begins to constrict the dendrites on our little neurons. Now, I'll get to the Bible in a minute. Hang in there with me. Now, the reason I'm interested in this is because I read at my age, I'm losing a, a thousand neurons a day, and I didn't have that many to start with. And apparently each neuron has little branches, like little branches going out, and these are called dendrites. And it's these network of dendrites that give us the capacity as human beings to remember, to have intelligence, to concentrate, to create, to actually live out life. And when this cortisol level increases because of the stress that comes from fear, actually begins to constrict these dendrites, and some even begin to fall off. And your world starts getting really small. And when you start thinking you're losing your mind, you're having dementia, all you're going to do is recreate more serious conditions because you're driven by fear. And our world just becomes less. But have you ever heard this word? I, I never heard this word before. I can hardly pronounce it. Neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity. <laughs> I like the way Paul puts it in Romans 12. The renewing of your mind. Apparently, our brains, our physical brains, have a capacity to rejuvenate itself. When we start getting out toxic thoughts, and what do you think produces toxic thoughts? Fear. And yet when we replace those toxic thoughts with non-toxic thoughts, a sense of being loved, then the actual fact, our brains actually begin to heal. And dendrites can even grow even greater. And life can even expand for you. This is, Jesus is saying, why are you troubled? It's not good for you physically. It's not good for you socially. And it's not good for you spiritually. So if you haven't already, open your Bibles with me to Luke. The last chapter, Luke writes... Here in the Gospel, Luke 24. And Luke basically gives us this record, the doctor, the historian, of this post-resurrection event of Jesus. Again, after his arrest, after his crucifixion, after his resurrection. And he's being spotted. There are, there are times people are seeing this resurrected Jesus. But now notice what Luke records for us here. In Luke chapter 24, pick it up in verse 36. And while they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst. But they were startled and frightened and thought they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? The context of the night finds the disciples in hiding in this locked upper room for fear that they too will be arrested and executed just like their leader a few days before. And they're telling each other about these sightings of a resurrected Jesus. But who's going to believe that? And then all of a sudden, Jesus appears to them. Luke records, He stood in their midst. He doesn't knock on the door. He doesn't come through the wall. He doesn't have the roof opened up and brought down on a pallet. All of a sudden, he stands there. It's like he moves from one dimension to another. He just is in one spiritual dimension, and he just moves into the physical dimension. And there he is, standing in their midst. In the first words, he says, Peace be to you. 
Which is an understatement in that they're shaking their sandals and concerned about bladder control right here. Now they're thinking they're, this has got to be some apparition. Some spirit, some kind of... Some, they think they're looking at a ghost. And says they are frightened. Imphobos. Phobos. Phobia. They are thrown into fear. And he's asking him, why are you so troubled? The word trouble means full of dread, anxious. How come you're so full of uncertainty? All of a sudden, you're uncertain about everything you believe. Therefore, he says, why do doubts arise in your hearts? Why are you questioning what you believe? Because the fact you're questioning what you believe is throwing you into this fear. And you're going to start losing some dendrites here. Now he says, why are you consumed with fear again? What did I tell you back in John 14? Again, just a few days before, the night before he's crucified, Jesus makes this statement in John 14. In verse 27, he says this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Now not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart, here's the word, be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Now you heard that I said to you, I go away. But I will come to you. Now, if you love me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, and the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it comes to pass that yes, I'm going to go, I'm going to be crucified. But I also told you I will come to again. And he says, and I do this that when it comes to pass, you may believe. You won't start doubting. You know. Good things come out of good times and, and bad things come out of bad times, but sometimes good things come out of bad times. What I'm talking about is you don't always know what you believe. Tomorrow night when we get to the eighth beatitude on persecution, Jesus says, blessed are the one who's persecuted. That's great. Hit me in the mouth and I'll smile. Well, it doesn't make any sense. What good could ever come out of hard times, out of being persecution? out of a situation that's fearful like this, answer, you will learn what you believe. See, sometimes you don't know what you believe. You think you believe it, you hope you believe it, but you won't know you believe what you believe until it's tested. Until it's tested. Oh my. Jesus said, I told you I'm going to go. I told you I'm going to come again to, with, to be with you. But now, why are you doubting and questioning yourself of what you believe? But Jesus responds to their fear here in verse 39 and 40. Go back to Luke 24. And Jesus says this, See my hands, see my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And many manuscripts tell us that Luke gives this comment. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Jesus answers their fear by saying, look, look. When are they looking at? They're looking at a scarred spiritual body. It's remarkable. When you study the book of Revelation, when you come to chapter 5, verse 6, it describes Jesus in heaven as the glorified, resurrected Christ, and it says he's a lamb as if he had been slain. He has this scarred in his hands, his side, his feet, and he shows them. And by the way, uh, the word hand in the Greek includes the wrists. So when he was crucified, it wasn't in the hand, it was in the wrist because the bone there would keep him uh, stabilized where he was hanging. 
And here he shows them the scars of his body. What's he doing? He's basically saying this. They did this to me. And you know, I don't need this. If anybody had a reason not to come back, I've got a reason to run. Here's what they did to me. And I am still here with you. And I am not a ghost. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Now that hit me a bit peculiar, flesh and bones. It's normally not the phrase. What's the phrase? Flesh and, and blood. And yet in 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul says that flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of God. You cannot have flesh and blood and enter into the spiritual dimension, the heavenlies, the very presence of God. But Jesus doesn't mention flesh and blood, flesh and bones. Why? Leviticus 17, 11. God says through Moses that the life is in the blood. And that's true. We live in mortal bodies, cells that die. And so they need oxygen. So oxygen goes through the lungs and it goes basically carried by the blood to every cell of your body or the cell dies because you are immortal. You're in a body that dies. You need blood for oxygen. But Paul talks about that when we receive the glorified body, it's an immortal body, a body made of a substance that doesn't die. And if it's made of cells that doesn't die, then basically we do not need oxygen. There's no need for the blood, but there's something deeper than that. Because again, Leviticus 17, 11, he goes on, and God says, I've given you the blood to put on the altar as an atonement for sin. The wages of sin is death. I gave the blood so it would be a picture of the absolute provision of forgiveness and forgiveness of your sin. Now, if our sins have been absolutely forgiven by Jesus Christ, He's already shed His blood in the kingdom. Blood now has no function other than a memorial. A memorial of the fact that we are absolutely forgiven for all that we've done because of the provision of the Father of His own Son for our forgiveness. That's why Jesus says in this glorified body that will be forever. Of course there's no blood, it's flesh and bone. He says, as you see that I have. But what's the spiritual body have? Who really cares? I mean, I'm, I'm happy for Jesus. So he's got this great spiritual body, flesh and bone, it's eternal, will never die. But what does it have to do with me? Well, you remember what the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians? When he's encouraging those Christians there. In Philippians chapter 3, remember Paul said in verse 20, Oh, that's not the right book. Philippians 3.20, he says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. All right. I'm waiting for Jesus as my Savior. Save me. Deliver me. How? Next verse. Who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. The fact that God the Son created the heavens and the earth, that same eternal power He will use to transform these bodies when Jesus returns or when we go to be with Him, and He will transform to be a body just like the resurrected body of Jesus Christ. Remember what Jesus promised again the night before He was crucified? He had told them that He's going to die, and they're all panicking. And He says, guys, verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. After a little while, the world will behold me no more, but you will behold me because I live, you shall live also. 
Now, what's he talking about? He says, yes, you're going to see me uh, crucified. It's going to look like I'm gone. The world's going to think I don't exist. But he says, I'm going to disclose myself to you. Notice he says in verse 16, 17, I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. Watch this. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him. As far as the world's concerned, Jesus doesn't exist anymore. He is simply a historical footnote. But here Jesus says, but you know because he abides with you and will be in you. No, wait, 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 wait. Holy Spirit will be with me and in me but what does that have to do with Jesus' presence with me? But here's the strange verse. Drop your eyes down to verse 23. Jesus answered and said to him. Now what is he answering? Judas, not Iscariot, the other one. Verse 22, said to him, Lord, what then shall has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? How is it that we're going to know that you're with us still and the world's going to think you no longer exist? Jesus answers with this, verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him. And we, my Father and I, will come to him and make our abode with him. In the presence of the Spirit of God within us is the presence of Jesus Christ himself. See, in other words, Jesus is going to answer their fear in the most remarkable way. Go back to Luke 24 and notice how he ends. Verse 41. And while they still could not believe it for joy, they were marveling. And he said to them, Have you anything to eat? This is my favorite verse in the Bible. <laughs> when things are stressful, tough, frightened, time to eat, right? He says, Have you anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. Broiled fish. <laughs> Apparently you've got to have a glorified body to enjoy broiled fish. And he took it and he ate it in their sight. What is this? I would think he would say, okay, now sit down, gentlemen. I would like to give a discussion on metaphysics. I would like to explain about life after death. I would like to explain theology, eschatology, things about the future. I want to talk to you about my second coming. No. He says, do you have anything to eat? And they give him some broiled fish. He sits and he dines with them. Well, what is this all about? He just asked them, why are you so troubled? Why are you stuck in this protective state because of all the threats around you? It's been said that the root of all fear is death. Everybody fears ultimately their own demise and death. The great theologian Woody Allen commented <laughs> that death is absolutely stupefying. His words, death is absolutely stupefying. Although he goes on to say he does not really fear death, he just doesn't want to be there when it happens. People fear, and yet Jesus has taken away, according to Paul, the sting of death. I mean, 2 Corinthians 5, he says, We walk by faith, not by sight. Absent from the uh, body, present with the Lord. Philippians 1.21, For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. 
To depart and be with Christ is far better. Revelation chapter 6 verse 10 says the moment that these Christians in the future in the tribulation time died, instantly they were in the presence of Jesus Christ. Conscious, with memory, communicating. That night, that day that Jesus was crucified between, between two very frightened men, much in a state of protection, and in their fear, one, the fear engaged rage and anger and shame, and he actually dared Jesus, save yourself and us. Apparently, upon reflection and watching Jesus loving even from the cross, remember the other thief said, Lord, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Do you remember the first word out of the mouth of Jesus? And when you're on the cross, you don't blow smoke, right? And what did Jesus say? Today. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Sting of death is gone. So we don't have to fear death, but, but, but. For many of us, we don't even think about death, so we don't really think about fearing about death. So we got to deal with another fear, and this is a fear that hits us every day, and that's the fear of living in a fallen world with so much threatening, uh, threatening things around us, whether it be physical, economic, vocational, whatever it is, people, we live in fear, and these toxic thoughts, we're losing dendrites. So what is Jesus saying to these frightened men here in this isolated room? He's basically saying this when he says, you have anything to eat? Then he sits and he eats with them. He's saying, I am here with you. Let's have a meal. Do you remember Revelation 3.20? Jesus says, I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone will open their life to me, an individual or a church, I will What? I will come in and dine with him. Do you understand the context? To dine, to eat. Man, we're going to fellowship. We're going to talk. We're going to spend time together. We're going to enjoy our times together. What did Jesus say in Matthew 28 when he, 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 he's ready to leave the planet? He says, now, here's the, here's the commission. As you go into this world, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you, and lo, lo means catch it, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the week. No, no, even to the end of the age. Oh, the great psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Makes me lie down in green pastures, leads me behind, beside still waters. He, he, he guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And though, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. Jesus says, this isn't complicated. Fear of threats all around me. And for me to begin to let my mind trigger into a toxic state is all because I've forgotten what I believed. And doubts arise into my heart about what I believe. Do I believe Jesus or not when Jesus said, Hey, I am with you. 
Even though they did all of this to me, look at the scars. I am with you. I'm dining with you. I am going to be with you because I am in you in the very presence of the Spirit. You know who really got this and explained this thing where I can figure it out? It's Paul in Philippians 4. Paul says in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. When a Jewish rabbi repeats something twice, it's an exclamation point. It's like, get this. And the word rejoice is the form of the word joy. Remember, is the absence of fear, the sense of being loved. So he says rejoice. Have the sense of love. Dispel this fear. How? Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men, for the Lord is near. He's not talking about his second coming. He's talking about now the Lord is near with you, in you, supping with you, dining with you. Be anxious for nothing, but now in everything acknowledge his presence with you by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be, be made known to God and now watch the promise. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How do I do this? I'm starting to get fearful. Fearful of failure. Fearful. What if, what if the seminary folds? Without the Lord, it's a house of cards. What? What if you lose your job? What if, you, what if that short sale doesn't work and you lose your house? What happens if the next time you go to the doctor, and, and it is, it, it's the big C deal. There's so many things to be afraid of. So what do I do when the fear begins to rise in my heart? Daryl, why are you so troubled? Why are you being thrown into fear? It's because, Daryl, doubts are rising in your hearts, in your heart. Are you, are, Daryl, are you forgetting what you believe? Daryl, you believe Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son for you. Whoever's believe it, Daryl, do you believe? Yes, I believe. And Daryl, you should never perish. And not only have I taken care of the fact that you're never going to die. Oh, not, in, not, not spiritually. The moment that this body goes to the dust, you'll instantly be in the presence of Christ, breathing celestial air. But Daryl, for now, I've knocked. I've uh, come into your life. And we're dining. And you're forgetting that I'm here. Because, Daryl, you never talk to me. You never share your supplications. You never say thank you for anything. So of course you come to believe and doubt that I'm even with you. Daryl, will you begin to start sharing with me your prayers, your supplications, your fears, your concerns? Daryl, would you start giving thanks for what I've already given and done in your life? Daryl, if you will do that, just acknowledge I am with you. I haven't lied. And I'll never run from you. I will give you a sense of my presence and you will find that fear just fading, fading, fading away. And you'll find life open up, 
physically, socially, most importantly, spiritually, like you've never experienced before. You don't have to fear. Why are you so troubled? Why do doubts arise in your heart? Don't you believe Jesus anymore? And Heavenly Father, I would pray you would give us the faith, the trust, the confidence in what we believe. Jesus is our Lord and Savior. We find ourselves forgiven in Him. But Lord, we're protected by Him. And Lord, anything that comes to our life, you, Jesus, will bring good out of it. So why would we fear it? Father, this is my prayer for our folks this morning. Deepen our faith that we will believe what we believe about Jesus, our Lord. It's in his name we pray. And God's people said, amen. Walk worthy.